Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a joy. I, I just love y'all. It's a joy to walk alongside you guys, um, and just to hear what the Lord is doing uh, in each one of your lives in different ways and different capacities. Being honest and just, it's not all it's not all smiles and Merry Christmas all the time. Um, appropriately, uh, we're going to uh, finish up the series on suffering tonight. Um, as we kind of explore, um, yeah, suffering uh, from the Son of Man in Isaiah 53. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut as we go and, and just, um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep this brief tonight. Um, I'm going to open with a, a poem from William Rees, um, a Welsh poet who penned these words in 1855, and he penned them while meditating on the suffering of our Savior. He says, on the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Reese's words, they prime our hearts to hear and to See and savor the suffering of Jesus in Isaiah 53 tonight. That's where we are at the end of this series uh, on God's suffering or God's sovereignty in our suffering. Uh, In case you were wondering why we've been talking about suffering so much over the last last fall, it's actually intentional. We've had the last uh, six or I guess five evening services. We've explored the suffering in the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, We explored Romans 8.28, that God works all things out uh, for our good both the joyful and the hard, like we heard tonight, even the evil things. We explored Job's suffering one week, um, but that suffering was allowed by God and how he responded to it. We explored Hannah's real and significant pain in her barrenness as she cried out to the Lord. And we, we saw how God, against all odds, seemed to work in the middle of suffering to bring his glory to us all in the blind man of John chapter 9. So we finished tonight and how appropriate it is to, to explore the suffering of our Savior in this Advent season, as we, as we celebrate the coming of a baby who was born to die. Let's explore that together. Please turn to, to um, Isaiah 53.10, if you will. Page 614, 614 in the Bibles in front of you. This verse, it's nestled toward the end of a poem that you probably know. It's a well-known poem by the prophet Isaiah. Um, it's in a well-known part of the Bible. But verse 10, the one we're going to talk through tonight, is often, I think, overlooked and unexplored. And it it looks directly in the face of our deepest questions about God. We read in Isaiah 53, 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for the guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The main idea that I want us to explore in the next few moments is this. Jesus was crushed so you can endure the suffering of this life. Jesus was crushed so you can endure suffering. Um, yeah, we're just going to walk through this verse, uh, kind of 
part by part, and then I'll leave with uh, three encouragements at the end. In this section of the book, Isaiah, he shifts his gaze from the judgment of Israel um, in the exile, the sin of Israel, and the judgment of those nations that surrounded Israel. He shifts uh, now to the Lord's coming salvation, toward the promise of a future salvation that will be like the first exodus, but far greater than that exodus. And in so doing, Isaiah receives from the Lord a prophecy of what the coming king would, would look like. And, and that's the focus of Isaiah 53. Not all answers are there in just Isaiah. We have to read the rest of the Bible to, to fill in the rest of those answers. But he gives us what that king is going to look like. But, but there's, a, there's a significant catch in Isaiah 53, if you're familiar. There's something astonishing about this, this coming king, or Messiah, which means anointed one, is revealed. He won't come gallivanting with millions of soldiers or servants. Robed in, in purple, looking dignified, looking handsome, someone you would want to be around, to know, to associate with. He won't come in that way. No, Isaiah instead says he's going to come completely differently. And it's astonishing and it's actually unexpected. In the previous verses of this chapter, he describes his coming king's physical appearance as, as marred beyond human semblance. No form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. In verse 2, he would be despised, rejected by men, one whom people would, would hide their faces and not want to be around, despised and, and not esteemed. He wasn't looked highly upon, Isaiah says about the coming king. He would be oppressed and afflicted. He'd be innocent in all his actions and words and yet led to the slaughter like a lamb or like a criminal. He's described, as we've talked already tonight, as a a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. You see, Isaiah tells us in verse 10, though, that this suffering was the will of God. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was, this was the plan. There was no plan B. This is plan A. It was God's plan to put this, this coming king to grief. The Messiah would be, he'd be despised, he would be rejected. Slaughtered because of the good and pleasing will of the Lord. Why? That, makes, that doesn't make any sense. Well, because the treachery and the rebellion of mankind had to be atoned for. The rebellion of sin is so egregious to a most holy God, and the penalty of eternity in hell so significant that only death, would satiate the appetite of God against sinners. Something has to die. Something has to suffer. The problem is how do you save repentant sinners and accomplish this death? How do you extend mercy to the condemned and at the same time give life? How can we be just and good at the same time? Something or Someone has to die. The answer is, he does it for us. God pays it in our place. You see, this is why the suffering of the Messiah was necessary. The king had to suffer. The Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man Jesus, coming, putting on flesh. The Emmanuel would reign, but must suffer before he enters into that glory. 
And it only makes sense, this only makes sense through the eyes of faith. Faith that God, in eternity past, willed the plan to offer salvation to the world through the suffering and death of himself, his very self. He would come as a servant, put on flesh, and his death would, would open the way into the eternal kingdom for all who believe, reversing that egregious curse. Friend, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, hear the call of God on you from Isaiah 53.10. When his soul, it says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his day. What Isaiah is saying is there is a guilt on you. And there must be a payment, an offering made for that guilt. It must be a sufficient payment for the, the debt. And the only sufficient payment is your life. But look at the good news of this as well. His, his soul can make the offering for your guilt, the text says. A substitution is offered to you. You don't have to. An innocent life, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, for your guilty one. Jesus' payment on the cross is yours if you will repent and turn and place your trust in him. Believing this news is true and that he accomplished it for you, is the news of Isaiah 53.10. And, like it says, when you trust in him, you become the offspring of God, meaning we, we become the children of, of God, relating to God differently. Before, it was as enemy. There's no peace with God. There's only enmity. But now, we are children, offspring, a tender and father is who we relate to. That is you tonight. I would just invite you to talk to someone around you about what that looks like. Isaiah 45, a little bit previous, 22 says, says this. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. That's God's heart. He wants all to be saved. I'll leave you with three encouragements. Knowing that the suffering of the Son of God was the will of God is meant to give you a rock-solid confidence in God himself. Whatever it means to nuance the mysteries of, of God and his willed plan, we cannot miss the force of what is being said here for us today, ones who suffer. It is intended to drive home the surety of his suffering so you may have extreme confidence in him and his promises. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he did crush him. He was crushed, and he was crushed, he was crushed heavily, and this very fact unlocks all the other promises God has for you in Christ Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, so, so he will walk through those trials with you. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, so you can trust that he will work all things, even hard things, for your good. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, so you can believe that this is not the end for you, wherever you are. True lasting hope comes from a rock-solid assurance on the will of God to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, so you can take heart in your suffering that you are becoming more like your Savior, more like Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, so you can know that no matter how dark the days may seem, there is a bright hope for a day fast coming when it will all be over. 
This life with all its pains will soon be given over to eternity. Think of that. Eternity with him. Because it was the will of the Lord to crush him, so you can trust that just like Christ's necessary suffering led to his glory, your suffering will one day lead to your glory. With him and in Christ. I'm always encouraged by that in Hebrews 12 too, when it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he's now, because of that, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Every other promise in the New Testament hangs on these words and the surety of the will of the Lord to crush him for you. Number two. Jesus suffered so that we may suffer together. Isaiah 53.10 also has in it that the Bible teaches our troubles are not our own. My troubles, your troubles, your suffering, my suffering, we share them. Like the Psalms of Lament that we even talked about already tonight, we can cry out to God together. We can bear one another's burdens together. We can share in one another's suffering together. Jesus suffered alone so that you don't have to. Jesus suffered alone so that we as a church can suffer together. Bring your trials, bring your suffering, bring your troubles unapologetically to one another. Bear them together. Lift one another up in prayer. Bring the word to bear on one another's souls. Encourage one another with gospel truth. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. One of the ways he helps you is through the church. So we need to let others in. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens so, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or 2 Corinthians, as we've been learning so far, comfort others with the comfort that you have received. This also means, by the way, church, that we should strive and seek to have a pulse on those around us and what's going on and how we're doing, just like we did it tonight. Are you engaging in the body enough to allow for those kinds of conversations? Do you have a pulse on those closest to you on what they're going through that you can do what we just said? Do you look around enough for those opportunities? Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Jesus is the standard of suffering. Jesus is the standard of love for one another. Thirdly and lastly, in your suffering, dear saint, you are becoming like Jesus. The biblical pattern of discipleship to Christ is through the way of suffering. Disciples will suffer. And the Bible says that he is conforming us into the image of his son. And praise God, some of that is in the realm of, of yeah, relation to sin, of our flesh and obedience to Christ and putting that to death in the face of temptation. And that's, that's some of it. But that's not the only way we look like Jesus, church. 
we also conform to him and look like Jesus in, because God in his infinite wisdom elected his disciples to suffer with and behind their Savior. For it is through suffering and weakness that the gospel shines all the more brightly to one another. And so it's not a matter of if, but, but when we will suffer. And so when we do, and if that's you this evening, take the words of Apostle Paul as comfort, which, is some, which says suffering is purposeful. Romans 5, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we, we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To those of us who are suffering and those who will, look to the one who modeled suffering for you. The king is the one we follow. The one whose suffering even exceeds that which we will endure in this lifetime. As we look to Jesus in our suffering, we see, we see a tiny taste of what Christ endured for you to the full. He was a man of sorrows, and he was deeply acquainted with grief. To close, um, I opened with a poem. I want to close with, in the Lord's providence, um, Chris changed the songs tonight. Didn't know what he was going to sing. But these two verses from the song Emmanuel. Listen to these words from this song that you already sang this evening through the lens of Isaiah 53.10. King of heaven, now the friend of sinners, humbled servant in the Father's hands, filled with power and the Holy Spirit, filled with mercy for the broken man. Yes, he walked my road, and he felt my pain, joys and sorrows that I know so well. Yet his righteous steps give me hope again. I will follow my Emmanuel. Through the kisses of a friend's betrayal, he was lifted on a cruel cross. He was punished for a world's transgressions. He was suffering to save the lost. He fights for breath, he fights for me, loosing sinners from the claims of hell. And with a shout, our souls are free, death defeated by Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord, these words are sweet to the ones who know the, the pain of life and the pain of suffering. Comfort us by your word, Lord. We ask you, to, to bring healing. We ask you to bring children. We ask you to help us in our darkest days with our depression. We ask you to, to bring friends around us. We ask you to give us friendships that can fill us with scripture and with prayer and with fellowship. We ask you to do all these things and more, Lord. And we ask you to, to be with us in the middle of it, to walk through the valleys with us, to show us inside of it Jesus is suffering for us, that we may gain a, a even more appreciation, and even more joy of knowing the suffering of Jesus for us. Help us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.